This episode of the Good Ship Brothership is brought to you by Pedro. Thank you, and now on with the show. Alright, well, hello everybody. It's the two of us again. It feels like it's been like ages since we recorded a podcast, but shockingly, I think this one's going to go live on time. Yeah, but... If Jason can hmm. be trusted this time. Well, I don't work tomorrow, so that's good. Yeah, but that didn't stop you from getting the last one up the day after. Yeah, it's okay. So, uh, hello, uh... I already said hello, but, you know, hello to you. Thank you. What do we normally talk about in this part of the show? Do we talk about how low the levels You're are? Is that okay? so sucked into your phone. No, I just have my notes. See? That, well, See? Notes? Not notes? Really notes? Valid excuse. Notes? Okay, we'll um, bring the levels up a little bit. Yeah, we don't need to be too quiet. Uh, normally, we just do a little introduction. We talk about what, we, what we've been consuming in the art world. I think we both probably have a couple things to talk about. I'm still chiseling my way through David Foster Wallace's um, Infinite Jest, which has been greatly slowed by uh, my rereading for the first time in probably almost a decade of The Book Thief by Marcus Zusak. Ew, YA. I think that would be his, his name. The Book Thief is really interesting. Ya in the in so much as it completely transcended, yeah. Ya and really um, disregarded its genre confines. So we'll be uh, talking about this book on the show in the not too distant future with our excellent friend, supporter of the show, and rack on tour, Abigail. So we'll be uh, reviewing that. So I've been reading through that and. Uh, not uh, externalizing any of my thoughts whatsoever. Because I haven't started it yet, but I'm about to. Um, and I'm about to start it because I've actually wrapped up a couple books. So typically, I really only like to read one book at a time, but with school stuff, I usually have to do two. You know, one for pleasure, one for school. Um, and I just finished two books. I finished Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, which I didn't actually have to read all the way through for my study on it. They had you read huge excerpts of it. So I didn't actually read the whole thing, which was kind of a pity. I would have really liked to because I think it was written really well and it shows how like arcane language can still be powerful today, like instead of just being so hard to read that you're removed from it. I think that it actually wasn't as tough to read as I thought it was going to be. And then I also finished One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, which you should really read. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it was a super interesting story that poses a lot of questions but at the same time still doesn't come off as being heavy-handed which i think is actually fairly rare especially in books like where you get a book that makes you think a lot outside of when you're reading it but it's still kind of fun to read or not like hard to read i think cormac mccarthy does that yeah but he can even he can be a little bit uh obtuse yeah and i mean not in a bad way you know i love cormac mccarthy Though not enough to read Blood Meridian. <laughs> not yet. Um, and then that was in a very a, corny podcast kind of thing. That yeah. Just did. Well, we're corny podcasters. No, we're not. Um, and then in addition to that, I saw Black Panther yesterday. Um, a few of my thoughts are actually included in my review of a ghost story because one kind of helped contextualize another. Um, but it was, you know, fine. It was the opposite of a ghost story? Yeah. <laughs> for better or for worse. Yeah. It was... So, the way oh, I saw a Black Panther <laughs> a, uh, a black story? ghost story and a black story, I don't know. It was a black story. Which, a black you know, ghost? Yeah, more power to him. Um, the way I saw it was like going to the theater with a bunch of my young friends. Um, and I do think that's like what it's made for. And it was fun for that. Like, you know, they're breaking the code of conduct sometimes. But, you know, I still love them. Yeah. Is that it? I suppose. I've also been uh, not really rediscovering, but listening to more Khaled the last couple days. And I was I was re-listening to Kendrick Lamar's Damn recently. And I kind of want to do a catch-up episode with that album, or at least just you know take a chunk out of an episode to discuss. I'm going to throw this out there before our listenership drops off too much. 
Um, Grant and I have discussed in the not too distant future, maybe in a couple months, re doing like a uh, top albums of 2017 revisited to see how our thoughts have shifted now that we've been listening to some of these albums for well over a year, um, and all of them at least for a few months. Well over a year. Yeah, like from February. Like I said, if we do it in a couple months, we will have been listening to them for like oh, 15 guess, months, kind of thing. Because yeah, yeah, it's March sorry, now. Sorry, 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 sorry. sorry, um, sorry. But yeah, because I think probably both of us, me for sure. Um, would reshape my list in some ways now. Mm-hmm. But it is what it is, so shall we get into it? Man, we're good. I, I played the theme music this time with my baby toe. <laughs> He's actually strumming this right now. Yeah, what most people don't understand is that I'm playing the piano live every time. If we ever do a live episode, we have to recreate this, like, playing it live as closely as possible. <laughs> With people doing yeah. the, the laughing. There's so many different things to find obnoxious about this music, really. Somebody was telling me recently, it was somebody, somebody said, oh yeah, I listened to your podcast the other day, it was somebody who I completely didn't expect to listen to it, you Caitlin, know? Caitlin, maybe? I can't remember, but the person the person described our music as like Sesame Street. Hello everybody, you're aboard the Good Ship Brothership. What is the Good Ship Brothership, you ask? It is the only arts podcast that covers film, music, gaming, literature, and stainless steel knuckle duster tattoos. My name is uh, Grant. <laughs> I almost said Jason. <laughs> and this is my brother, Jason. Hello. He's Jason, I'm Grant. Uh, Jason. What are we talking about in this episode? Today, we are talking about the 2017 film A Ghost Story, since we're punctual as always. And we are also discussing, I'm literally scrolling to look at the name, Somethingness by Our Lady Peace. Somethingness. So, somethingness, technically Somethingness Part 2. So I finally figured this out. Grant said, like, we gotta listen to the new Our Lady Peace uh, EP. It's four tracks long, blah, blah, blah. And then True. I looked it up, That's and I was like, true. it's nine. It's not four. Okay, so here's the thing. I don't know if you know this, but I'm telling you now. I believe uh, I told you. Last fall, they put out Somethingness Part 1. Oh, did they? And that, yeah, that was the first four tracks. And <laughs> then a couple days ago, they released Somethingness Part 2, which has I the new five see. tracks, but also technically the first four. So it's like, so they it's like us in. under construction and then the finished project. So technically, this is Somethingness Part 2, but all of Part 1 is included oh, therein. I hate when yeah. bands do that. But uh, actually, figure that out. Um, so, a ghost story. I actually just watched a few hours ago. It was super nice. I had a great viewing experience for you know kind of how I'd want to see that movie. I got to watch it like alone in the basement, mostly uninterrupted. You know, mom being mom. Mom stopped. wasn't interrupted. Yeah, she interrupted a couple times, but that's fine. You know, I still love you, mom. Uh, but yeah, mostly I just got to like sit back with headphones on and like try and get my full attention. So, which should we talk about first? Well, I think undisputedly. Jason, what? Undisputedly. What should we talk about first? A ghost about? story should be faced down. Yeah, of course. Yeah. But which should we talk about first? The puppet determines that. No, I know. I was trying to segue you into the puppet. So, face down is a ghost story. Okay, face up is okay, something. Okay, fine. Else. Here goes the. Wow, he it really. It is. Face down. Okay, so we'll be talking about a ghost story now. What did you think of a ghost story? Um, okay, so you want me to go first? Because mm-hmm, I, I feel like it? I usually go first, but not always. Let so. me try and pull up the Wikipedia, since our internet is so slow on my computer, uh, specifically, which we normally use only for the clattery keyboard sound. And this is actually a bit of a good segue, just for me to have a bit of a disclaimer. So I watched a ghost story this afternoon. Fine, cool. Our internet was total butt at the time. I think I watched most of it in like 360p kind of thing. Sub-DVD quality. It went up in quality a little bit later. Um, I think it's actually a movie that stands up fairly well to like lower resolutions just because of the visual style. And I'll get into some of that later. But uh, be aware that all of my judgments on like the way it was shot and everything were through crappy internet speeds i would love to see this on like a blu-ray or i mean even a dvd or even four four twenty four twenty yeah <laughs> yeah okay. everything looks better in 420p that's true 
Okay, so... <clears throat> a Ghost Story is a 2017 American drama film written and directed by David Lowry. It stars Casey Affleck, Rooney Mara, Will Oldham, Sonia Av- Acevedo, Rob Zabrecki, and Liz Frank. It does not star that many people. Affleck <laughs> plays a man... Oh my Good goodness. night. Sounds like mom's bowling upstairs again. <laughs> Affleck plays a man who becomes a ghost and remains in the house he shared with his wife, Mara. Uh, a couple other pertinent facts. Um, this was... It's 92 minutes long. The budget... I don't know if you saw this, Jason. I was thinking about this today. It must be really small. $100,000. Interesting, because there are... I was thinking about that while I watched it, and I was like, most of it, super low budget. You know, you get a sheet and you get a crappy house. But there are a couple scenes where I was like, this would have cost a little bit more. And uh, the box office take on it was $1.9 million. Good for them, So man. it did. But honestly, it's amazing. The fact that they made that movie for $100K with Rooney Mara and Casey Affleck in it is kind of weird. Are you? Yeah. <laughs> That's what it that says. That seems weird. I'm just reading huh. the, the number unless they made it for $1 million, which would make way more sense because Embrace the Serpent was $1.4 is it 1.4? Yeah. I need to stop telling people it's 2. It was okay. 1.4. I'm going to fact check the budget. Uh, well, you go ahead. Okay. Ugh. Need to just situate myself. Sorry. This table seems small and low today. Maybe you're just big and tall. I guess. So, A Ghost Story um, is a very, very quiet film. And I mean that tonally, I mean it in its presentation, and I mean that literally. The camera is very detached. It's oftentimes left completely still, just abandoned on the tripod and untouched as things unfold or don't unfold. Uh, the The film is uh, completely, entirely framed in a square like box with like rounded edges in, in like an, an overhead projector aspect yeah but the aspect ratio is square it's uh like, i think it would be four three is it probably i'll google that too you can but regardless most films now are what would they be uh know. 21 by 9 18 by 9 it's 16 it's, by 9 films depending. now are large rectangles yeah. frequently the, like yeah okay thank you with the <laughs> Heck off. Doesn't matter that much, Jason. Nobody cares. Well, you asked. Yeah, I did. And then I accepted your answer and moved on. Uh, My point being, it looks looks like um, a television show that would have been shot in the 70s or the 80s or maybe the 90s with the uh, completely square screens that televisions had then. It is 4x3, so a tube TV aspect ratio. Which bothered me uh, initially. I thought that that would be something that was going to last for the um, past, for the the, the past, what, what am I trying to say here? The flashback. The flashback. Yeah, Thank same you. here. For the flashback part, I thought that that would be for the that that uh, particular section of the film, and then the edges would pull back, like in uh, Grand Budapest Hotel, but that was not the case. It stayed in that square aspect ratio for the entire uh, duration of the film, which presents some interesting framing and some interesting uh, just compositional abilities but uh, but true truly I didn't really notice it for most of the film yeah for sure now the film was made for a hundred thousand I can confirm that I... and it does not really wear that on its sleeve it looks very good. There are shots of, you know, dewy morning grass and uh, and the pale blue morning sky. And you really feel your feet, you know, getting wet with the dew on the grass. And, and uh, there are, you know, nighttime sequences when you really do find yourself becoming kind of sleepy and, and uh, just contented. The dialogue is extremely naturalistic between... Uh, Everybody, but especially the two leads, uh, Mara and uh, Affleck, as a married couple. This is a film that's brought to you by Casey Affleck mumbling about things, especially yeah. 
in the first little bit, and she asks him a question in response. He goes, mm-hmm. Can we talk about that, tomorrow? Is that kind of Casey Affleck kind of mumbling thing like that? And, uh, which is fine. That's clearly what they were going for was more of a, this whole film is very ambient in a lot of senses. He's a bizarre combination of like super attractive, moody and super dorky. And very like dweebly. Yeah. Which is fine. You know, some people are into it. Yeah. Same. So the pro, the pros of that naturalistic dialogue, I think the almost, they call it mumblecore cinema. (laughs) I I'm serious. That's a type of of uh, film. You like, got a little something stuck in your teeth right here, by the way, and it's killing me. Other side. Like, would you say, like, Dunkirk, where you're not always okay. supposed to understand what people say? Uh, Mumblecore, another example of a film that's kind of on the verge of Mumblecore, which was the name my autobiography, Rango. would be, um, oh, good joke there. Thank you. Would be, gone? yeah, would yeah. be The Deer Hunter, where you've got, like, extended sequences of a wedding. And it kind of just follows people around this wedding. There are no real lines per se. It's just like you're at a wedding. Okay, yeah. Does that make sense? So it's just, it's so focused on the realism of the moment that it doesn't make like any narrative concessions for the sake of clarity. So that is, that's a good thing in the terms of you, um... You kind of find yourself believing in these people more quickly than you otherwise would yeah. if you were trying to win your audience over on the strength of what they're saying to each other and not so much how they're saying it. The cons, of course, it's hard to understand. It can be annoying. And the film is so quiet. There's no real... Can you stop doing that thing with your fingers, please? It's really fun. <laughs> I don't care. It's distracting me. You should post a video of that on Facebook. Just... I don't... Okay, if you, you can post a video of that on Facebook if you stop doing it now. Where was I? Mumbling. Uh, yeah, so the film the film is so quiet and the camera is so still that it forces you... You start, like, zooming in. You start framing shots within the shot with your eyes. You know, where you look, what you think about what you're seeing, what you expect to happen next. You start kind of directing the film for yourself and that can make the mumbly dialogue very very trying when you're just going huh what huh and you're not uh the nature of the film is not you know sit back and let this wash over you i will say like you said about the uh like you start zooming in and framing shots i noticed the shooting does have this really great um directional quality where if you look carefully the geometry of a lot of the shots um, do direct your eyes to certain spots that do, like you said, ends up framing, like, uh, one thing that comes to mind right near the beginning, there's a scene of her when he's on the slab, when she's identifying him. Yeah. And, uh, on the left you have, like, a bit of a wall, then kind of in the middle you have a smaller hospital divider, and then her, so it forms, like, this sideways pyramid. And shots like that do a great job of funneling the eye and giving a lot of intrigue. Yeah, there, there's a lot cool. of just basic good composition here. Yeah, and I should we should uh, give a bit of the because the Wikipedia page doesn't really give you any sort oh, of true. setup for it. Uh, basically, um, it's a young married couple living in this house, a c- kind of country house in a sleepy area. He's a musician. We don't know what she does. He is killed, and this is no kind of spoiler whatsoever because it happens. It's the setup. He's killed in a car accident and then haunts, I guess you could say, the house. Well, yeah, he haunts the house that they lived in, and we see different people living there and so forth and so on. And the kind of... um, The kind of creative... Uh, liberty that's taken is that Casey Affleck as Ghost Casey is literally, I mean, I assume it's Casey Affleck. I think so, yeah. Literally just wearing a bed sheet with like black holes for the eyes, like Uh a classic Halloween ghost costume, which is, I think it's, it's a fun and an interesting and I, I really like that as a premise. And I think it worked well throughout the movie. It didn't really feel very goofy or anything like that. Mm-hmm. There were some very... 
it makes you th- it makes you think, you know, when a loved one passes on, how much they are with you still. Yeah, maybe not necessarily watching you, but you know, just mm-hmm. in your memories and all that sort of thing. And it it gives a physicality, literally a physical heft to the presence of this ghost. Uh, I think I think the Affleck's performance with the sheet. <laughs> Is very good. Stand here for four minutes, then take three steps to the left. I, but I think that he does the his performance, and again, if it's him, whoever did that performance, really well. And there is genuine like emotion and uh, and uh, humanity to yeah. that performance, where you literally can't see a person at all. Rooney Mara, it is Rooney Mara. Yeah, Rooney yeah. Mara's performance early on is like fantastic and uh and despite the fact that she looks kind of like a really gaunt house cat like a like she's got these i don't know she has a strangeness to her face and like a kind of placid um detached look she was just phenomenal i think and like completely heartbreaking and very convincing as somebody who is absolutely bereaved in the uh, earlier sequences. However, I have some issues. My first issue, and this will make sense if you see the movie, there's no way Casey Affleck sang that. <laughs> yeah, Let's get this out of the way. There's no way, there's no way Casey Affleck <laughs> sang that. Okay? I did not for one millisecond believe that that was his voice singing that. That it was equivalent to like Jack White doing Freddie Mercury cosplay. It, it was. <laughs> it was like uh, uh, anyway. Why did you do that? Anything else? Yeah. The it, it, it's a it's an ambitious film. It went in a direction towards the end that I didn't expect, and I think it completely stuttered for the you know last third of it it spends like three quarters of the running time literally setting up a very low key and a very modest premise only to just blow it to smithereens and just completely desecrate it and it becomes like almost sci-fi in the latter portions which really washes away the kind of sweet uh, salty taste of this very low key very emotionally invested drama that we see unfold for the first legs of the film. It is kind of the equivalent of like if you and a friend were having this really like low key deep talk at some cafe and then someone who knew you came up and was like, Hey, big guy, how's yeah. it going? Yeah, and you you know, it's it there is just a a shift in tone, in mood, in theme in message, in delivery, in everything. It was so... The film was so scattered and weird after, after like, literally, it's three-quarters of the way through the movie that this happens. And I completely lost track and ceased to care and everything beyond that point kind of, you know... They try to set it up with a with the longest bit of dialogue spoken in the entire movie by this like balding hipster scumbag did at, you at a know house party. That Kesha makes an appearance at that house yes, party. Yes, I did. I didn't, but yeah, I didn't do now. Very weird. Yeah. Um, and they try and kind of set it up thematically, but it feels kind of shoehorned. And I just thought that that guy was super annoying. And I found myself getting actually frustrated with that kind of dialogue because it just was so pretentious. Whether or not it was meant to be pretentious or not, it, I just hated every second that I had to listen to this guy drone on and on. And then, boom, the movie's suddenly spiraling and completely out of control. Completely lost touch with its initial... Um, premise that was so powerful and believable and you connected with it and went oh and just lost its nerve entirely 
And I think that that's really, I think it's too bad because I think that the setup and the initial premise were really strong and really interesting and modest. But still, the film leapt for something very ambitious and fell short. And I still respect what it was trying to do, I think. But I just am not sure that it knows what it was trying to do. Very interesting. Um, so, as I kind of mentioned earlier, I watched a ghost story like less than 24 hours after I watched Black Panther. And the experiences were polar opposites, both in terms of the movie and in terms of like uh, IMAX 3D. Forgive me for the 3D. And then, like, sitting at a computer monitor in my basement, you know, surrounded by friends versus, like, alone kind of thing. And it really threw into contrasts kind of, like, the beauty of, you know, cinema and, like, the wider range of awesome experiences you can have with it. Um, But I think Black Panther helped me enjoy a ghost story way more. So, like, take Black Panther. The cinematography was actually pretty good, um, but, like, totally uninteresting. The story arc, I didn't mention this to you yesterday... I would say it was so formulaic that basically at any given point you could uh, you could predict the next 20 minutes accurately. I, I just don't understand. It feels like every stinking time Marvel puts out a movie, people claim it's something revolutionary. Last one was Thor Ragnarok, and people were like, oh, it's a superhero movie, but it's, like, funny. And I was like, like, every superhero yeah. movie, like... Look at even the old Batman ones, the old Tim Burton Batman. Yeah. Like, nothing new's being done here. But every time Marvel puts something out, people are like, it's changed the game. Uh-huh. It I don't understand how people are so content with them. Yeah. But and anyway, then, please continue. Uh, and then with Black Panther, like, as soon as they dared to slow down to give you some, like, uh, super beat-you-over-the-head exposition... They were like, whoa, 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 we gotta throw a fight scene in now just to make up for it to apologize uh, to all the fans. So I guess most movies assume that the viewer is like an imbecile. Um, and I noted that with Black most Panther too. Yeah. I forget what they said. There was one thing that was just totally stupid exposition. It's like, okay, thanks. They're like, now the ritual combat. It's like, oh, I didn't guess that. By the way, you were chanting and, pant- and putting paint on your face and attacking each other with swords. Um, but then there are some movies, like A Ghost Story, that really demand something of the viewer. Like, it's it's not optional. Um, and what A Ghost Story demands is a ton of your patience, I think. Um, I realized kind of partway through, if you watch this movie and you're having conversations with somebody or you're checking your phone all the time, there is no way you'll like it. Like, basically guaranteed. Mm-hmm. And I think there are a lot of movies that'll you know still be okay if you do that and they're kind of fine as background but a ghost story like you're watching it or you're not um and i really like that because i feel like with a lot of worthwhile art you get out what you put in um and with a ghost story you know what i mean you gave me a weird look Uh, no i didn't okay i'm just sitting here man i'm just fiddling with my big old beard okay now i'm lost in my notes hang on um so get out what you put in Watching this movie, I kind of learned something, or I was reminded of something, that bonds with loved ones, or really with anything you love, even if it's like a hobby, don't just occur with these super memorable, like, oh, remember the time when we did blah, blah, blah. Peak peak experience. Um, A lot of the time, we get to know our loved ones by having these, like by doing mundane things together. And I think a ghost story does a really good job of bonding you with the characters by having you just sit there for five minutes while they have this uh, mumblecore, is that what you said? Yep. Well, they have this mumblecore conversation about, like, uh, if they should move or not. And Casey Affleck's like, no, we got too many memories. I um, will say, the, uh, the like, it's probably two and a half minutes long of just canoodling and smooching in bed. Well, I, I felt slightly uncomfortable and yeah. voyeuristic. Yeah. No, and not, like, in a good way it was like okay uh, oh oh okay it's like when it's like that couple who everybody knows yeah. or has known who is way too touchy in public and it makes you want to throw up exactly i didn't like that but i think through these slow moments in the beginning a ghost story set up what was 
really not one of the most impactful stories I've ever experienced, but one of the most emotionally impactful stories I've experienced in quite some time. Um, sure, the pacing is super slow, and it seems even slower because of these super fixed camera shots. You know, there's yeah. almost no panning or zooming, and that makes the movie seem way slower than it would have been if it were the same movie with different cuts. But at the same time, I think, like you said, those fixed camera shots allow um, a really high quality in terms of cinematography. Because if you're trying to frame every shot intentionally, I mean, simple math, right? Cutting down the number of different shots cuts down the number of great frames you have to set up. And I think, you know, do a few well instead of do a lot poorly. Um, really paid off the visual storytelling is really good i really like that repeated shot there's a shot uh pointing out their front bay window and beneath it you can see casey's character uh his turntable and like speakers he's a musician and you can hear people entering and exiting the house and you'll see them a second later they'll walk across the shot inside or or outside and you can see them through the window and they use that repeatedly as like a transition and after Casey's gone, as we said, right near the beginning, that turntable is still there, like as a reminder of his presence, even more so than like his physical embodiment. Um, and I think that's super cool. Um, I'm still torn on the aspect ratio, but I'm coming around to it. And here's why. And you can tell me what you think of this because we haven't discussed this at all. Um, so movies typically, like we said, 16, 18, 21 by 9, something like that. And that's made mostly to mirror the human eye, you know, among other reasons. That's kind of the aspect ratio we see in. But I think doing the 4 by 3 allowed, like, this extra layer of separation that I liked. Because I don't think you're meant to feel like you're there. I think you're meant to feel like you're peeking in through the blinds or standing there like another ghost beside him. I don't think you're meant to feel like Casey. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I think the aspect ratio actually did a good job of adding this weird separation so you did feel like you were on the outside looking in um in terms of negatives i'm not nearly as down on the ending as you are but (laughs) like here's the thing i think there was a way to do and we can't spoil it i think there's a way to do basically the same ending in sequence but make it way better so i think they had an okay idea that they executed quite poorly and i agree that it brought the film down um, and I didn't mind that guy's monologue towards the end, except it went on for way too long. And it seemed like they kind of threw away all of that show don't tell they had built up the whole movie. The whole movie up to that point was kind of predicated on like trusting the viewer's intelligence. And then it was like, let's pause for five minutes to catch everybody else up. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, yeah, it was kind of a bummer. Uh, I also would have liked to see a little bit more before Casey's accident like I felt like you could have developed a a little bit more on those characters beforehand well the choice of how they introduce us is very weird yeah they just we kind of slip into their lives through a series of disjointed and very incidental um scenes where they're just talking about moving should they hire a mover? Do they need a new piano? And then, you know, a sound in the night that wakes them up. Yeah. I guess I would have liked to see them in happier times a little bit beforehand. Exactly. It It's just a very... It's very much just, you know, Rooney Mara standing in the kitchen talking to Casey Affleck. <laughs> who's like in the living room, you know, 20 feet away. Uh, yeah, it's, yeah, it's, yeah. Overall, I actually thought it was a great movie yeah. for what it was, only for a specific time and place. It's not like, oh, what should I watch? I don't know. I guess I'll watch a ghost story. It's <laughs> no story. Mad Max Fury Road. Um, Do you think that. you'll watch it again? Um, Probably. Yeah. I would like a chance to see it, if for no other reason than with better resolution. Because I thought their choice of, like, like dust motes were the order of the day for that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, not even in terms of these, like, highlighted J.J. Abrams shots, but just in terms of... J.J. Abrams known for his dust motes. Well, like, light flaring through, you know what just, I'm picturing. I know. You understand. Yes. Um, but it was just this muted, dusty, drab, almost oppressive, 
um, shooting quality, or maybe it was just my bad resolution. I don't know. That could easily. Speaking be. of bad things, what did you think of somethingness? Okay. Well, I lo- just looked up a Wikipedia. A wiki- Wiki- <laughs> oh, Wikipedia. Uh, I just looked up the Wikipedia for um, Our Lady Peace's new album, and there's nothing up. Uh, somethingness was released just a couple days. There ago. is too. I was looking is at there? it earlier. Really? Yeah. Okay, well, yeah, no, because that's how I learned it was like the nine tracks and stuff. Um, you might have to go to the band's page and then go to something this, but no, I was there like half an hour ago. Um, now, this is actually kind of an interesting review for us because, and you can contradict me if you want to, you always do, but Grant and I um, were kind of in a unique position with Our Lady Peace where both of us have listened to a lot of their discography and we've been fans of theirs for a long time. But I don't think we ever, like, loved, loved Our Lady Peace, like, as one of our favorite bands. I personally know, like, I really respect and enjoy what they did for their old stuff, so, like, Clumsy and Starseed. And I also enjoyed, maybe equally or more so, their new stuff, like, uh, Curve, and I like Burn Burn, too, actually. Although it got a bit samey. Um, but we are kind of in a unique position where we're super familiar with their stuff, and we like them. But I've never considered them like one of the great bands of all time, or even one of the great Canadian bands of all time. Do you have the page there, Maestro? Not quite. I'm trying to find discography. And we should also note, I'm sure we'll get there sometime too, this is not only their first uh, fully-fledged album in I think six years, but it is their first album without uh, Jeremy Taggart, who was their spastically talented drummer. Founding member as well. And I believe, I well, I, maybe their bassist has been there since the beginning, but anyway. Definitely not their guitarist. Uh, Somethingness is an album by Canadian alternative rock band Our Lady Peace, the ninth studio record published by the band. Producer, <laughs> produced under the Coalition Records label by Jason Later, who also produced their preceding album Curve. The album's release was heavily promoted using the Pledge Music Platform, a website which facilitates musicians reaching out to their fans to market and distribute music. Uh, it is the first Our Lady Peace album to have been released in two separate volumes. Volume 1 was released August 2017, and the remainder of the album, initially referred to as Volume 2, <laughs> was released on February 23rd, 2018. So today's the 1st of March. Uh, that we're recording this. That's okay. That's good. Because um, last episode it wasn't even released. Huh? We're just on the ball. Like normally we're like this album released two and a half months ago. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, um, was released February twenty twenty third, twenty eighteen, and contained all of the songs from Volume One. The album is the first not to feature original band drummer Jeremy Tigert, who departed from the band in twenty fourteen, and is the first to feature Jason Pierce, who officially replaced Tigert in 2016 so our lady peace um was a band that i really came to like early on in my musical journey when i was starting out and uh really unsure of myself as a singer particularly and rain maida's early very whiny weird uh yodely kind of singing completely captivated and struck me because it sounded um bad <laughs> but in a really cool way <laughs> but in a real like in a way that really worked and i just remember being addicted to listening to his superman's his, dad and... to his voice because it, it's it was such a strange and unorthodox and uncalled for and kind of like it's it, nobody gave him permission to sing like that, you know. Uh huh. And I was just I just remember being astonished, and it really opened my mind to the possibilities. And you don't have to sound any way really to yeah. be a singer, and you don't have to sound good successful. to be good. Yeah. So our lady piece kind of still have a special spot in my heart i really don't listen to their stuff very much i've been actually in the curve the last couple months again it's a really good album it's a pretty good album it was kind of gray 
though. It's a little like limp and lifeless and overcast. But anyway, so we're not talking about curve right now. We're talking about somethingness. And the first thing that I'd like to say about somethingness is I think it's a terrible title. I think it's a really, really bad title. Somethingness. It's like they said it as a Some- joke and then went, oh, Somethingness. Guess. What on earth do you mean by somethingness? Even the title doesn't know what it means. You know? Like, Let alone the music. Like, it's, it's just somethingness. What are you striving for? Somethingness. It is so unfocused and so just mushy and pat and cutesy that right off the bat I was disgusted. <laughs> like somethingness. It's just I'm gonna so make a video terrible. of you saying. Is there it still sounds like no. It sounds right. like something Winnie the Pooh would say. You know, when he's talking to Piglet. Piglet, what is it that makes a friend? Oh, it's a certain well, Pooh, you see, it's a certain somethingness. <laughs> and you just you would read that and go, ah, oh, it's true. But no, it's not true. It's not true at all. That title is terrible. And so I went into this album with an aggressive anger <laughs> born <laughs> born under the hot steam of the indignation that is you know the, the, that an adult would have the gall to call an album somethingness i don't think it's that much it worse than what me. now though no what now is also a really bad but album this title. is even worse but it's not at least what now is kind of cheeky yeah. But somethingness is just such a wet diaper full of full of no creativity whatsoever. I can't say anyway, it without a P. So I was I headed into this album you know, with my expectations very low to the floor, and I was a little surprised, to be honest with you. The music wasn't like um quite as out and out poppy for the most part as i was expecting i was expecting to hear um rain Maida doing his very best rip off tegan and sarah um for that can con money so that we would be hearing two tracks off this album on canadian radio on cbc with that 30 second fade out halfway through exactly like for the next you know year and a half or so and for for the most part that wasn't on there with the uh with the exception of one of the songs let me see if i can find the title just so i can make oh i'm so sorry just so i can make sure nobody ever listens to it um what was it i'm sorry that i just did that that probably sounded okay. gross we've been I believe, i've been significantly gassy this whole time and i've been doing a really good falling, job of not falling into, into mic, place though. i think it might be it opens with a ukulele anyway, like a like a picked ukulele. I don't even remember. And that. it was so like hipster and Fisher Pricey sounding that that I was almost violently ill upon hearing it. Uh, that that's mostly absent. The album opens up with a big crashy drum beat that sounds uh, very nice. I guess it's, the album's well produced. I didn't actually uh miss their old drummer that much i was expecting to hear a drum shaped hole in this album from jeremy taggart's departure because he is such a unique drummer and really truly has his own voice and is that what an iconoclast is would that be appropriate i don't think so huh. i think an I iconoclast is somebody who's like like it's like an enigma but for a person specifically I think you can Google it because I could be completely wrong. I think it's something like that. We're learning so much today. I was I was expecting to to hear not Jeremy Taggart, and I didn't really realize I didn't really hear that. The drumming is a bit more generic, but then again, everything's a bit more generic. Everything is a bit more generic, and that's where this album lacks focus and it lacks commitment most of all. It really seems like they have a song for this and a song for that. You've got the ukulele song, um, which people, you know, are meant to wave their lighters to. They've got uh, very, very synth-heavy, borderline EDM or, like, walk-off-the-earth-style songs which you know they're hoping people will jump up and down and pump their fists to 
and then they've got you know um, Black Keys, Jack White style fuzz guitar riffage that will get hopefully their older fans um, to headbang. Iconoclast. One, a person who attacks cherished beliefs or oh, institutions. My word. Oh. Iconoclast. Two. A destroyer of images used in religious worship in particular. Well, From the Greek, cool. the origins are like to break likeness. Oh my word, we are so wrong. Iconoclast. That sounds really nice. I hope that you've all enjoyed this ASMR. <laughs> that was kind of ASMR. Okay, that was Maybe it. we should save that and play that at the end as well. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, pr- pretty much every song as well has Rain doing the yodeling thing that he's known for, uh, where he pops up into his kind of whiny falsetto range, which is not necessarily a bad thing. He's definitely playing it safe. Just, you know, it sounds it sounds like a, like a um, thoroughly bleached mixture of Walk Off the Earth, New U2 stuff, the stuff without a soul, and, uh, and maybe some Radiohead thrown in there for the moody moments when, you know, they want to make people remember just how dark and edgy they used to be. And, uh, yeah, overall, it, it's not really as bad as I expected it to be, but it uh, is absolutely forgettable. Uh, piggybacking off that, I'm kind of upset that that's what you ended off with because I had a zinger of a line. I was going to be like, it lacks a certain somethingness i was gonna say first of all i'm really glad we're recording this today because tomorrow i don't think i'd remember anything about this album to talk about <laughs> that you'd be like something somethingness what's that i've never heard of it somethingness. and you'd show it to me on spotify and then two days later you'd ask also, me about it and i'd just be like what also the album cover is like a, a, a poor bargain, man's a version bargain. of everything now <laughs> yes, the bargain yes. version of everything now which is a just, gorgeous cover. Uh, what a gorgeous But our late piece couldn't afford a big enough billboard no. to Photoshop. Wow, you almost fell backwards. Um, so there's an old adage. I don't know if it's an old adage, but I'm going to pretend it is. <laughs> there's an old adage that goes something like this. Somethingness like this. People will live up or down to your expectations. Um, like if you expect great things from someone, you'll, you'll probably get it. Or you expect someone to be like a total loser and a deadbeat they'll be more likely to be unsuccessful. That's just a fact. Um, so it goes in this case with Somethingness, the newest album by Our Lady Peace, um, which I would describe as a paragon of mediocrity. I'll keep it kind of brief because I agree with most of what you said, but I'll kind of skim over these. Um, somethingness is... It exists in that totally blah zone that makes it really hard to review. I remember when I was like... It does. What, what can I say about this? It's completely inoffensive. When I was really into games, like really into games, um, I would listen to IGN all the time. And what I'd hear a lot of the people say, geez, Louise, what are you doing? Sorry. Um, <laughs> Sorry. That's dangerous. Sorry. Oh my gosh. It stinks too. <laughs> <laughs> Yikes. Okay. Anyways. So when I was super into games, I would uh, listen to IGN stuff a lot. And they would always say, like, the hardest review is a six. You can't hate on it. You can't laugh at it. But you can't be like, well, it was almost great. Because it wasn't, really. Um, And it's kind of the same thing with this album. So I'm going to try to talk about it. But it's really hard to talk about because there's just nothing to it. It's just somethingness. Um, It does lack a certain somethingness. It does. (laughs) the drumming is totally fine, which is really depressing, given that Jeremy Taggart was, like, a fabulous spaz. I didn't find the drumming bad, but it was just... He's like a side... Their old drummer was like a sideways Neil Peart. Yeah. You know? And it was awesome. And the new drummer's fine, but it's just fine. Um, And I was thinking, normally I try and go kind of instrument by instrument a little bit. So when I was writing my notes tonight, I was like, so what do I think about the bass? And I realized I can't think of one judgment ever, good or bad. I don't even know if there was bass on this album. I guess there was. They have a bassist, but I don't remember hearing it ever. Well, and... that's not. I mean, that's bass. That's but not necessarily is it? Like, a huge knock against it. All of the great, ba- like, think of. I mean, to go uh, extreme, think of like John Paul Jones. 
like you can think of his base. And well, he wasn't that's even... also just because, like, if you're, if you're, like, how about great bassist Larry Mullen Jr.? No, wait, that's the wrong one. <laughs> <laughs> great Adam bassist, Clayton. I love him. How about Adam Clayton? Um, sure, you can think of some of his bass lines, but mainly he's there to provide, uh, you know, thickness. That's fair, but still, I thought it was missing a certain somethingness. Um, also fair. And then we get to the guitar work. I actually thought the guitar was kind of nice like i noticed it he's an a couple times player. yeah um it lacked uh those like kind of beefy distorted tones <laughs> that we I found more really often you were gonna go there. <laughs> that we found more often on curve but you know he has these like clear kind of ringy um tones that i did find enjoyable but not revolutionary you know you could still say they lacked a certain somethingness <laughs> And then you have Rain Maiden's lyrics, and for the last time, maybe not the last, unironically, <laughs> not they last a certain something They last a certain something <laughs> I lack. Anyways. <laughs> you lactate. No! I, I... <laughs> I lactate a certain somethingness. <laughs> That's what I was trying to say. Okay. Anyways. <laughs> so I realized I hadn't really absorbed Rain's lyrics. <laughs> so I looked him up, and he's never really been like a star writer. So, um, but it's some weird, edgy, um, like uh, what's the what, something flowers? What's it called? Automatic flowers. Yeah, like he's got some weird. That was cool. Evocative um, lyrics. And I looked it up, and his writing's not bad. He's no uh, city in color, um, <laughs> in terms of crappiness, and that goes for this album as a whole. But. It still never moved me. It never made me chuckle. I was never like, oh, that's smart. Um, and you look at these top artists that we have from the last couple of years, and not only do they do, like, do they make you chuckle or do they move you? They do, like, all three. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I just think this album's really tough to talk about, um, but that's okay. If you want to, go listen to it, but I don't think so. I wrote at the end of but my I review. I don't think so. <laughs> I'm getting really tired. It's time to just leave. The final thing I wrote in my review is it won't hurt anyone, and that's kind of the problem. Thank you for listening. <laughs> Good night. I'm just joking. We're not going anywhere. You thought you got rid of We us. should figure out what we're talking about next time before we start. Oh, lordy, um, lordy, lordy. I feel like the Book Thief would be a, too much of a cram. No, we're not going to be able to do the Book Thief. Probably book the episode thief is after probably next. the one after that. But, um, you know, Abigail wants to graze mm-hmm. through it and, and read it again. And I have her only copy, which she very graciously lent out. I hate lending stuff books in particular because books get damaged with every read a book gets damaged esther <laughs> let me try that again wow good setup esther i'm putting you on blast she never listened to the show she's had my copy of sweetness at the bottom of the pie for bare minimum two years and i think longer two years we, we were both at monday club and i know she still has it she knows she still has it but the fact of the matter is she still has it. This is why I don't lend books. Also, just because people people these days, unless you're lending it to like a bookworm, right? I like, would lend Abigail a book. Yeah. She's a bookworm. Yeah. If you lend a book to a bookworm, you're going to get it back. You know, there might be some jam on one of the pages, but you will get the book back and it won't be annihilated. Unlike if you lend like the second Artemis Fowl book to the Bowmans. Yeah, and then they've lent it to somebody else. Who lent then, it to somebody else? And then it just, yeah. and <laughs> They actually did I that, didn't hate, they? Yeah, I hate lending stuff out. And I know it's just stuff, and that makes me seem petty and 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 really annoying. I, I just don't trust like that. You, you want to know how... I just don't trust like that. Do you that. want to know yes. how neurotic yes. I am about it? Uh-huh. I, Jessica Little... Yes. ...once asked to... To borrow my copy of High Violet by The National, which is one of my favorite albums of all time. And I just said no, and then bought her a copy. There you go. (laughs) That's I was like, it is such a good album. I want you to hear it. There's no way I'm lending you my copy. You give somebody a CD, it comes back, it's all scratched. They, you know, we got weird smoothie stains on it. Josh still has Bioshock, one of our favorite games. Although, we can buy the remastered version, it's okay. 
Um, yeah, lend, but lending people yeah. stuff just sucks in general. But we also but have I this have copy no, of Fallout I, 3, so yeah. But, you know, getting down to brass tacks, I have no idea what we were talking about. We were talking about what we were going to review next time because we don't have time to do the book thief because Abigail wants to graze That's over right. it. That's right. Okay, so here's reading. here's one of the things I think that we should review next. I think that we should do Ikiru uh, by Akira Kurosawa. Okay. Um, it, it is kind of like the Japanese equivalent of It's a Wonderful Life. The premise of it is a, um, a man who is a clerk uh, and uh, he's spent a lot of his life stamping papers in a dusty cramped office and then realizes kind of comes to his senses one day and realizes that he's done nothing um nothing with his life and he uh sets out on a journey to amend that get this okay hold on jason's experience with akira kurosawa the legendary director of seven samurai and ron or ran and uh, many other films as well, Sandro and Yojimbo. I've has Sandro. been has been really nothing but hate. Here's the thing. No. Yes. No. You don't get. To, yeah. Okay, if I your do. first, yes. if the first line of your response is "Here's the thing," yeah, then you're valid. just about to no. agree with no. whatever I just no. said. No. Yes. No. Yes. No. Well, yes. Let me talk. Let me. Okay. Thank you. Please. I'm not going to let you talk, and here's why. Because you're wrong, and if you start... <laughs> I have a good explanation. No, you and don't. I don't want to get hate from all the homies out there. Okay. okay. I'm going to put so the Yakuza of on ta- your tail. Ocarina of Time is a game that I like. What are I- you talking about? Listen. Ocarina of Time is a game that you would enjoy if you were there at the time. But now, if you were to go back and play it for the first time, it wouldn't hold up that well. Like Rise. Like, you can see Seven Samurai. It could be really good, but now it's not. Ladies and gentlemen, I think we can all agree that Jason has absolutely no ground to stand on here. Oh, I do. No, you don't. Yes, I do. If I wasn't, if I was, you have watched The Hustler. You've watched Casablanca. The Hustler's great. Casablanca's great. Okay. So Seven that... Samurai. Wait, I haven't watched that one. Which one yeah. did I watch? You watched Yojimbo. No, and you watched the Ran. Ran. Last good. Okay, so I have one more thing to say before I tumble into complete decay and enter the void. Before. Yes. Okay. Um. So I'm down to do Ikiru, because I have wanted to watch one of Kurosawa's non-samurai flicks. No hate on the samurai, it's just the ninjas were better. Um, but I was thinking, and what do you think of this? Um, if we want to do a game, we own Brothers, A Tale of Two Sons, on our, a short art house game. How long would that take? Like three hours, and we do it together. Three? I know we, yeah. I know um, we do it together. Even better yet, we're brothers... If I wanted to know about the unfinished swan, I'd talk to a swan. <laughs> if I wanted to know about brothers that tell of two sons, we're two sons, we're brothers. Let's get after it. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, I swear to you that he is not drunk right now, and this is just... It is so late, it's almost 11. Oh, okay. What is wrong with you? You, like, get up at 11 a.m. No, I don't. Yes, you do. Every every day as I'm about to leave for work, I hear your alarm going off like 13 times. That as you means just I'm up. <laughs> lay in bed like an idiot. Like an idiot. Well, you are what you eat. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for listening. Next episode, we will apparently be reviewing Brothers A Tale of Two Sons and Ikiru. If you'd like to look up either of those things, one is spelled Brothers A Tale of Two Sons, and the other is spelled I-K-I-R-U. Iconoclast. Thank you. Uh, If you have any feedback whatsoever, if you have suggestions for future topics, please do get in touch with us. Uh, If you have seen a ghost story, if you have listened to somethingness, Please feel free to send us in your reviews. We are going to get an email address very shortly for the show that people can send emails to. 
But for the time being, the only uh, contact point we have for you is our Facebook page. I mean, you if can you just message to... either of us if you're our friends, because you probably are. Well, that's true. Message, uh, or just message our page if you want it to seem official and like you're actually doing something with your life. And we will read it out on the next show, because we would really like to get some some interaction, feedback, and funness happening here. It's been a slice. Please be good. Iconoclast. That was gross. I don't know what happened. <laughs> A lot. <laughs> I don't even know what to say. <laughs> Can I just say?